Welcome to another episode of the M&A Mastermind Podcast. This is the, your go-to source for the latest industry trends and strategies to level up your M&A practice. I am your host, Nick Olson, Managing Director of Cornerstone International Alliance. We are a group of premier lower middle market M&A firms. And here we bring on guests who are experts, who are experienced and really true masters of their crafts. And we talk about anything, everything, lower middle market M&A to help you level up your M&A practice. I have a really great guest today, really excited about um, her. She put the international into Cornerstone International Alliance as the first global member. Um, she has an extensive background in corporate finance and a unique expertise in working with private equity. Uh, she has completed many marathons, I hear, and ultra marathons as well, which included running through a rainforest in Brazil. Please welcome my guest today. One of the directors of Forward Corporate Finance in the UK, Sarah Moores. Sarah, welcome to the M&A Mastermind Podcast. How are you doing? Thanks, Nick. It's great to be here. Nice to see you. Thanks for taking the time for, uh, for, uh, for joining us today. And so how was your, uh, your run through the, the rainforest in Brazil? <laughs> uh, very hot and humid, as I recall. Uh, yeah, it was um, tricky and difficult, but I mean, great experience. Absolutely fantastic experience. And you, the people you meet doing those things are, are phenomenal. So uh, yeah, ma many memories made and uh, a few blisters along the way, but got to the end. So that's it. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. So you're an avid runner, is that correct? I am. I am. Although I have to say, I'm slightly less avid than I used to be. But that's unfortunately aging for you. But yes, I am still an avid runner. Yes. So you probably run a lot more. more than, than me, so. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's dive in. Like I said, thank you for joining us today. And um, like I mentioned in the introduction, you are first international cornerstone international alliance, which is always a was a big milestone for us. Um, and so just wanted to learn, tell us a little bit more about your, your firm, Forward Corporate Finance, um, and how that came to be. Yeah, so so we are a small, what, what you would call over here, a, a boutique corporate finance firm. Uh, we are based just outside London, well, between London and Cambridge. So that's really our, our market is in the, in the east of the UK, although we do have clients across the UK. Uh, we're a small team. We're five people, uh, originally set up by myself and my business partner, Rob Duclos-Smith. And, and really, the reason we set it up was we are nearly seven, so nearly seven years ago, um, was to, to target small businesses which we didn't feel were getting good corporate finance advice. So um, over here, a lot of companies obviously use external accountants and they can provide a level of advice. But unless you're a, a large firm, um, you know, going for a big valuation, you're not going to attract a, you know, a, a London corporate finance firm to act on you, not without paying extortionate fees. So we set up forward to act to, in essence, provide what we say London quality corporate finance advice to smaller businesses on our patch. And what that means is we're, we're not just here to broker a deal. We're not just here to introduce a couple of people and then walk away. We're here to sit beside our clients right from that first meeting all the way through the deal, making sure they understand every step they're going through, um, all the way through to, to completion at the end. So it's it's a full service corporate finance geared towards you know lower middle market, lower middle market owner managers, founders, um, but at fees that are appropriate to that level of the market. Yeah, I was going to go next question: What kind of clients are you serving? So you definitely explain that very well. So um, being um, based in the UK, what does what does um, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the challenges we're facing are, are similar to you. So, I mean, we we probably we probably go back a little further because I, I don't even remember something way back in our distant past called Brexit, which I can't even remember the date of it now. But, I, you know, we started in whatever it was, 2017, 2018 with Brexit. Then we had COVID. And then since then, obviously, we have supply chain issues. We've had the great resignation. And now we're heading, you know, teetering on recession. So to be honest for us, it's been probably four or five years of turmoil in our market over here, which which is difficult when you're trying to sell your business. Right. You're sitting there look, thinking, you know, when's the right time to go? You know, sh should I sell now? Should I wait? And also you, as, as, a, as an advisor, you're then looking at these businesses trying to sell them, saying, well, what is normal? You know, how, how do you present this business? Because two years ago it had a cracking COVID and now it's come down again or, or the reverse. Um, it's been hit by, you know, supply chain problems because a lot of its stuff comes from China, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think at the moment, um, I it, almost every deal that we're working on is, is challenging, not always for the same reason, but it's all challenging. Um, that said, there are still a lot of businesses out there owned by you know, people in their 60s, 70s, increasingly, to be honest, you know, 80s that have sort of sat and waited over the last few years that are now saying, actually, I, I really need to, to move on. You know, I really need to either sell this business or pass it on to my management team. Um, so there are there's plenty of deals out there. There are still buyers out there. There's plenty of cash, particularly private equity. I don't know if we'll talk a little bit more about the impact private equity has had on our market later. So there's plenty of buyers, plenty of sellers. The turmoil in the market, I think, just makes all transactions difficult. Is is probably a, the way I'd explain it. Um, now, if I could ask you to take out your crystal ball, and you're talking about this turmoil, yeah. um, what yeah. is that going to continue in your eyes in the next year or two, or, or what do you guys see? I I think we've certainly got another year of of uncertainty, and I think you know. I, some things are calming down. So the labor market is calming down here. Inflation is, you know, starting to come down. Interest rates have probably peaked, but they're not going to start coming down probably until some time after, you know, after the end of next year, probably. So I think there's another year of, you know, sort of settling into some sort of new normal. Um, but, but hopefully after that, <laughs> who knows what the next shock will be. But hopefully after that, there is a sort of new normal and we can start to look ahead and businesses can properly, you know, forecast and, and um, you know, invest, I, I guess, for the future. But but I think there's another year of, yeah, uncertainty out there where it's, you know, guarantees are hard to give, I think, when you're when you're an advisor to a, to a business that's trying to sell. And, and it is, you know, a, you know, kind of a unique situation for the past couple of years, like you stated. So, um, you know, a question that you probably love to uh, get in front of uh, business owners and you probably uh, wish it was earlier rather than later. But, you know, in an in a unusual economy or you know industry, what are you advising your, your clients on or business owners on as to when should you start the conversation of looking to exit your company? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I mean, in, in general, we prefer to talk to people as early as possible, even just to have a coffee and talk about, you know, where they're at, what they want to do, what does their business look like, what does their management team look like, et cetera, et cetera, just to get the lay of the land. And then just have a really high level conversation with them about, you know, what the various options might be. So from a, you know, a straight trade sale to a private equity type sale, which is, you know, 
it's quasi trade, you know, uh, to a management buyout, um, you know, which can be funded by debt or, or vendor loan notes. And we quite often find that that after that after our first coffee meeting with them, we end up demonstrating what each of those deal types might look like to our clients and that sort of feeds into their thought process and, and often then sits and just you know is just with them then um you know so we had an example that we sold we sold a business last year but we first started talking to them three years prior um we were originally talking about a private equity deal they decided they didn't want to go down that route then we were talking about a management buyout funded by debt and then the management team decided they weren't comfortable with that um, and we ended up with a trade sale. So we went all around the houses over the course of those three years trying to work out for each of the stakeholders which, which was the best option for all of them. Because it's not always about the owners, right? You know, there are there's the team, there's the employees, there's the brand, there's the local, all those kind of things feed into it. Um, so it's not always the option that an owner comes in to say, I want to sell my business. That's not always the option that the, the, the route that they end up going down. So we like to have conversations, you know, really early to sort of get the lay of the land, talk about the options, and then over time, um, you know, see see how those ideas develop. Um, but yeah, it can be quite a long time frame. I mean, I've I've got another client at the moment that I've been working for probably again for for the last three or four years, doing various bits of their business. So the first bit we did was sort of a, a general kind of restructuring. We've just bought out a, a joint venture that they had with a US partner. We've just bought out the US partner. We're now looking at putting a, a tax incentive scheme in for the employees. You know, so we're just putting building blocks in with a view to an exit down the road. So the earlier we can start to have those conversations, the earlier we can start to a advise what the right route might be, what the right timing might be, but also what what might be some useful things to do in the intervening period. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. What? I mean, generally speaking, what factors go into from your perspective when you're looking at you know, all these options for potential buyers for your clients, like when you say management buyout or private equity or, you know, strategic buyer or whatever the case may be, um, you know, what factors do you guys consider when you're advising your clients, which route is the best way to go for them? It's sorted. I mean, it, it, it depends on the people generally. I mean, and I suppose that brings in the people side of corporate finance rather than just the numbers. So, so you know, if, if a team is is well established and the owners are have a management team that can run the business, that gives you access to all the options. So you can do a management buyout with you know friendly vendor loan notes. You could look at a private equity driven management buyout, or, or you can still look at a trade sale. If actually you haven't got a management team in there that can run it or take it over, you're slightly more restricted in the number of options you can go with, and you're probably then looking, you know, more, more down a trade route. Um, but also that, you know, there are owners out there that say, actually, I don't want to sell to trade. I want to keep my brand. I want to keep my identity. I want to keep my business, you know, intact. And in which case, again, you're probably looking at more of a um, some kind of structured exit for them, um, you know, using uh, investor funds as opposed to a strategic buy. So it's a whole range of different things that that will feed into that. And and sometimes people don't know until they go through it. So we did a, 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 a transaction last year with a technology PR company. Um, and the owner wasn't sure whether he wanted to stay around and just wanted a partner to help him or whether actually he was he was done. He was in his early 50s. So it wasn't, a, you know, it's still plenty of runway. So in the end, we we took the business both to private equity looking for investment and also to, to the trade market looking for a buyer. And what we said was, you know, let, let's see what we get and then you can see how you feel. 
in, in the end, he got the offers and, and we went with a trade buyer. But but again, it wasn't something that until he saw what was available, it, it was a difficult decision for him to make. So it's not always obvious. And it's a whole range of factors that feed into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you kind of have to see how it goes and be, be um, I guess, uh, flexible enough and experienced enough to kind of be able to pivot as you go as an M&A. No intermediary um as you're, you're trying to figure out what the best uh, what a food company is um yeah 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 so what is you know and we see this all the time and you know it's the unsolicited offer it's uh you know getting approached by a potential buyer that reached out to you know a business owner maybe you know before you even have them as a client so for companies that, you know, get unsolicited offers to buy their companies, like what would you advise them on um, and how should they get a hold of, you know, from, from your perspective, when someone comes to you with an unsolicited offer, you know, how are you advising them and how are you trying to work with them to make sure that they're not leaving any money on the table? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good question. And to be honest, it's happening more and more, particularly over here with with so many businesses owned by private equity, which are looking to make acquisitions a lot of those on a lot of businesses are getting you know direct offers um we we did a we did an article a little while ago where we talked about this and i and i quite like the the way we kind of thought it was you know if you get an offer there's there's three options you can kind of um you know hold stick or twist fold stick or twist you know with, with the kind of three options so fold was you know kind of not interested you know walk away and and, it, and in that instance all we say to clients if if you're definitely not interested it's not something you want to do just be polite, you know, because you never know down the line what, what might happen. So, you know, make sure you, you know, respond if you can, if you've got time. But, you know, try try and keep the door open because you never know. But that's sort of the easy one, I guess, if the clients are interested. But the other two are, are sort of um, stick or twist. And I and, and stick is if you if it's a buyer that you are interested in, you like, there's lots, you know, there's lots of positives. You feel it's a good fit. Um and actually, you know, if, if you were to, to you know, to, to pick some names out of a hat that, you know, that 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 would be one of them. And in that case, it, it, what we say to them is there's no harm in starting the conversation, but just run it as a process. So make sure you're careful in what you say to them, when you say it to them, um, what you share with them, because obviously they're a competitor and there will be a competitor and likely be a competitor, you know, until you get a deal done. So just just think of it in, in the way um, as if you were running a process. Um and, uh, you know, just just be careful, but no harm in engaging. But then twist, we say to them, well, if someone's approached you, then there's probably others out there that are interested. So if you're interested in selling, then why why would you go with one buyer and, and why would you engage with one buyer? Um, and it's back to the, you know, the reasons for running a process. It creates a bit of competitive tension. You know, you're getting the right price. In fact, you know, to your, you're not leaving anything on the table. So we say to them before, you know, before you actually engage with that buyer and start down a, a one-way track just take a pause and, and have a step back and say actually has this provoked some interest in me to actually sell the business and and if so um should i be thinking about doing it in a different way um so that, those are our three categories and we say in, in all of those cases you know get, get an advisor to help you because you, you don't want to be having a conversation with someone that's potentially going to buy you in a, in a bilateral way like that. You you really want to be using an, an advisor who can a properly advise you, but also mediate and control, you know, information and um, the narrative that, that you're giving to the market. Um, so, yeah, so that's it. So, so fold, walk away, stick, have the bilateral conversation, twist, start a process. <laughs> 
it's um you know it's uh and you guys see it like i said more often than not lately and so to i think the, the main point is you know an unsolicited offer might feel like overwhelming it might feel you know wow i can get that for my business and i think the main point is you know kind of take a step back consume all that information and reach out to someone who is a trusted advisor and can help you navigate that process yeah, exactly. I mean, we we all know, don't we, that that you know the first offer actually means nothing because there's so many. You know, they've had little information. It's a, it's a back of a fag packet to get you interested, so it will bear no resemblance to the final offer you you end up with. So you know, always yeah, caution caution needed, but um, you know, no no harming in having in having a conversation so long as it's controlled and uh, you know you you know why you're doing it. So when you're working with a client and you're getting them ready to go through the process, like what are some things that you advise them on that they need to do to make sure that they're putting their company in the best possible light to sell? Yeah. So really I, yeah, I, I think this is really important. And I think becoming more and more important uh, as time goes on, the preparation that's now needed, I think, to get a business through a due diligence process and out the other side, whether you're going down a a trade sale to a strategic buyer or private equity, or, or even if you're just looking to try and raise debt, the, those hurdles have just got higher and higher over time, particularly in the current market where there's so much uncertainty and people are trying to you know, dip in and out and work out the impact of COVID and supply chain issues and, and, and all that kind of thing. So, and I think this is one of the things that that we we feel we do better than, than you know, most other um companies of our size in our market is that preparation phase and, and we almost we almost do a, a quasi dd before we even set our clients to the process so we will take all their financial information we will we will cleanse it we'll go through it we'll bin, build up a historical picture you know pnl balance cash flow core trends drivers will help them build a forecast model and by the time we've gone through that not only have we pulled out things that we go that, that looks strange what happened there We've also got a really good understanding of the economics of the business of, of our client. So it, it, for us, then going to the next stage means that, you know, we've got a good understanding. We've cleansed the business. We can explain all the positives, but also understand the negatives and, and, and we're ready to go through. So that that preparation period, some, I mean, some of our clients say to us, really, do you need this now? And and. You know, some sometimes we have to say, okay, okay you know, we, we'll leave it. But but more often than not, we we do push them to to give us as much as they can up front, so that we can get all that information out, and you know, we 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 can see what we're presenting and and what the issues might be. So so for example, we had a company last year which was um uh, an IT asset recycling company. Um, so they take in old computers from corporates and government. They clean them, either refurbish them and resell them, or if they're they're too far gone, they strip them and and uh, and sell the bits and pieces on it in the, in the various markets. But we discovered quite quickly that the way that they were treating stock was wrong, and this is clearly a business where stock is a massive part of the business because they've got an entire warehouse full of, of computer equipment. But by going through that, you know, forensic accounting um, exercise early on, we realised that they weren't capturing it correctly and actually it was overinflating their numbers to the extent that it, you know this would have been discovered in dd and would have had a price chip for sure you know that that was the way we were going so having discovered it early we could have the difficult conversation with our client and say actually you're doing this wrong um this is how we think you know uh, an, an auditor would do it 
So let's adjust the numbers, reflect that before we go out to the market, and then we can be honest and open. And, and that's what we did. And, and while the conversation was through due diligence was still a difficult one because their FARD accounts um, weren't correct, it meant that the price we got at the offer was the price we ended up with because we'd, we'd, we'd gone through the process of presenting it correctly in the first place before, before we got in. So by doing that work up front, you can go into a sale process fairly confident that should you find a buyer, and hopefully you do, that the offer they will give you is based on information that is good and will survive the due diligence process. So back to the question, I, I think that preparation up front is essential. And for us in our lower mid, you know, lower mid market over here, it hasn't always been done and it isn't always done because people think, oh, these are small businesses, you don't need to bother. But actually they're not that small and they're going for quite you know, large amounts of money. Um, and that DD process has just got harder. So prep is essential uh, for all our clients, really. Yeah, and you kind of hit on it, but you know, it's almost more important to dig up the the negative stuff that can impact your sale negatively, yeah. right? So yeah. as an advisor, yeah. you want to uncover all that stuff early so you can best do your job to make sure that that stuff's figured out before that real yeah. process. Of I think that's exactly right, and. Even if it's not something that you you act on immediately, you've got it in the back of your mind. You know it's coming, and you're rehearsing your arguments. You know, so you're either building up a few things that you can kind of trade off against it, or at least you're building up a defence to say, "Yeah, we know that's wrong, and we know we'll have to deal with it." So at least your client's prepared for it if it comes down the line. Um, so yeah, absolutely, it's finding something out that someone else has pointed out. It's, it, it's the worst possible situation because you're not prepared for it. You haven't got a defence. You're trying to you're on the hoof trying to come up with arguments, and it just you know it, it leaves you on the back foot. So being being prepared puts you on the front foot and means you can go into a process then um, you know as, as confident as you can be with you know obviously all the problems that will obviously ensue, but hopefully most of them you've anticipated. Yeah. Well, and that side of it that diligence part is is with you know the, the potential buyers right so one of the big value adds that you provide as an advisor and intermediary to your client is is making sure that you're finding the right fit um so how do you go about finding you know the right buyer because as a business owner you're not going to have the you know the time or the ability to necessarily do that that's what you guys do as as experts in, in corporate sales so you know, yep. through that process and what you go through to find that right buyer for your client. Yeah, and I think I think it's a combination of things. So the the owners may have an idea already of who some of those buyers might be. So we'll, you know, take take all those names obviously as, as a first port of call. And then it's really a combination of different things. So we do our own desktop research in terms of so, for example, we had a business um that we're looking at at the moment in the scaffolding space. So first port of call is, you know onto the internet, start looking at other deals that have happened in that space in the UK. Um, we now have a subscription to Scaf Mag, which is not a magazine that I ever thought I'd read, but it's a fascinating read. So, uh, you know, we, we start reading that. Um, we go through all our own databases to see, you know, other companies that are making, you know, uh, acquisitions in potentially adjacent spaces. Um, so it's just building up that data. So, and for, for a strategic buyer, we tend to start off with, a, well, we try to try and build up a very long list of 
you know, potential acquirers and and then, you know, score them against various criteria. So are they acquisitive? Are they big enough? You know, do they, do they work in this space, et cetera, et cetera. So we've got a bunch of criteria. Um, and, and then we can start the conversation with the client to go down the list. And some of them, they'll go, I'm not selling to them. I'm not selling to them. But, you know, quite a lot of them will go, oh, I don't really know them. I don't really know them. And then, you know, we can start to shorten that list down and, and add in a little bit more information as we go. So that that tends to be kind of our, our starter approach. But I, I think one of one of the reasons for joining someone like Cornerstone is to to, to give us a bit more reach, because clearly we're a small company, you know, in, in the UK and you know, we haven't got hundreds of offices overseas. So that research is very easy for us to do for UK buyers. And sometimes, you, you know, you can get in certain sectors, it's quite easy to to build up for overseas clients. But for us, being part of Cornerstone was was about sort of trying to extend our reach, you know, beyond uh, beyond the UK and potentially should we have companies um, which are more appropriate to an international buyer, we've got people we can reach out to to say, actually, can you help us here? You know, have you got any any buyers overseas? So that's just another layer that, you know, we feel helps us in terms of going to see some clients that potentially we do have reach beyond, you know, our tiny little um, footprint here in the UK. Yeah, and no, I appreciate yeah. that because that's one of the things that we do here at uh, Cornerstone is to provide, you know, you guys as as members and partners of our group, you know, kind of a no stone left unturned mentality where you can have, you know, make sure that you feel good servicing your clients and finding that right buyer that you don't leave any possibilities out there on, you know, found. So, um, so sitting with the buyer buyer topic, what is what I mean. You have an extensive background and um, I would say an expert in working with private equity firms. But so I guess two parts. One, I guess quickly explain like what has your background been in working with private equity firms? How has that helped you now and kind of on the MA side in you know in working with them, either from a buy side perspective or servicing mm-hmm. your side clients? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I started off probably about um ten maybe a little bit like a few years ago when I moved back to the UK, working with um, private equity companies, supporting them on deals. So working on the buy side with private equity. And that, so I worked with a whole range of different companies, um, supporting them and helping them um, as they kind of put the, put the projects together. And that gave me a really good insight into what they were looking for, what they were trying to do, how they structured deals. And, and I suppose, you know, the benefits, but pluses and down, you know, pluses and minuses of of of, um, of working with them. So that was great and, and, and a really good insight into private equity. But for me, the most interesting thing about that was thinking, actually, I'd prefer to be sitting on the other side of the fence and guiding owner managers as to how they can fit into, how they can access private equity and, and how they, you know, what how they should look at it and what it means for them. So that's when we, I jumped back over to the side fence and that was part of forming forward really was to, when we say providing, you know, London quality advice to our small clients, part of that is giving them access to things that, you know, are, are you know, it traditionally have only been um, open to, you know, London clients or large clients, but increasingly in the UK, private equity is playing a bigger and bigger role. So 10 years ago, you probably had, I don't know, half a dozen funds that were looking at, you know, our, our end of the market of deals, you know, five to 30 million. Now there's probably a list of, 
there's probably 50, you know, and, and new ones appearing every day, you know, small funds setting up on their own or, you know, small family offices or search funds. There's a whole range of different different types of private equity out there. Um, and they're having a big impact on this end of the market, firstly, from primary deals. So, you know, being the first investor in some of these deals, uh, they're all looking for, for opportunities. But also once they make that primary deal, they're also then looking for bolt-ons. And again, smaller companies that we deal with are ideal as a bolt-on for a larger private equity client. So from again, if I, if I go back 10 years and, I, and if we'd set up 15 years, maybe we'd set up forward, I would say almost all the deals that we do would be trade sales. Fast forward to now, and we are, you know, most of our deals we show to private equity in some form or other. Two of our last three deal, three of our last four deals have gone to a private equity backed company. Um, so they're having a massive impact on the market in, in lots of good ways because there's it, it, there's private money out there to do the deal. Um, but there's still a bit tarnished, you know, still a lot of people look at private equity and go, well, you know, I've heard bad stories about it. I don't want to go near it. So there's still that bit of a bit of a battle to go on when you're talking to people. Um, but yeah, they're playing a major role in in most deals that we work on. Is there um, in the current state of the market right now? Is there a lot of private equity funds or um, dry powder out there for deals to be done? There is, yeah, there is. I think a lot of them raised money pre-COVID. So there's a lot of that money still around um, and, and still going. I think some of the smaller funds that are trying to raise money right now are finding it a little bit more difficult. Although there was an announcement today that one of the mid-market funds had just, I remember the day when their fund was 300 million, they've just closed a fund today of a billion. So, you know, everybody is raising, you know, more, more and more money. Um, so yeah, there's, there's plenty of money out there, plenty of, um, yeah, firms and, you know, looking for new opportunities. Uh, yeah, it's it's having a big impact. What does that mean for you as an advisor? And when you're looking at opportunities for your, your, your clients, like, is that a good thing, a bad thing? Is it more challenging? I guess, what does that mean for you? And when you're looking at, you know, potentially advising your clients, when is the right time and when is private equity an option? Yeah, I, I think it's great for our clients in that it's an option. And I think, it, you know, it's it's another... It's another kind of, um, you know, piece to add into that initial puzzle when we're talking about what the options might be. And as I say, not all businesses are suitable for private equity. So for I just talked about a scaffolding business, a private equity will never invest in scaffolding. You know, even if it, you know, it, it was the last business left on earth, they wouldn't invest in scaffolding. So that's, a, you know, not, not going to work for them. But for, for businesses where, you know, they have got uh, attributes that would be suitable for private equity and they've got ambition to grow, which is clearly what private equity are interested in. Um, then it really does add another option into that um, into that suite, and it still might not be the right one. As I talked about, the, the technology BR company that in the end decided to go for a trade sale, but it just you know it gives options, and it also makes because private equity is driven by the management team. So if the management team have ambition and you know would like to drive the business forward, they can get equity in the deal which they wouldn't otherwise get. So it's a great opportunity for them to create wealth, um, and and also so if they're sitting there you know at the moment sitting underneath an owner manager that's stopping them doing anything actually private equity can provide a great release for them because they can provide capital and ambition for growth so a lot of private equities are driven by the type of business is it suitable 
is it a suitable sector for private equity and the quality of the management team? Are, are they backable from a private equity perspective? Um, so for us, it's the first thing we're looking for is, you know, can we add private equity into the suite of options for this business? Yes or no. If, if we can't, then fine. But if we can, then, you know, would you like to talk about it? The options are good, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Not too many, but. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Good options are good, I should say, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, kind of continuing on, you know, what the state of uh, M&A is in the UK, obviously, interest rates and, and all that sort of stuff, even here in the US. Um, yeah. What has that, how has that impacted, you know, what you're seeing as far as deal flow goes? And are they affecting your deals closing or are they delaying deals or what does that effect have on what you're seeing? Yeah, it, it's definitely having an effect um, in a sense of, so I guess in in two ways, probably for us on the for trade sales or, or and sometimes private equity does when they put debt in the amount of leverage that they could put into the deal is obviously lower so that has that has two implications to the deal either it means the price comes down or it means more of the deal is is deferred because you know the day the day one cash that they want to put out um you know sort of is the same so 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 we're probably seeing more um you know more deferred elements put into a deal but because of that it's not noticeable to us on the deals that we've done that it's really impacted valuation. Um, but we, I'm not sure we see enough volume to, to really categorize that. Um, so that's on the kind of trade sale property. On, on the other side, of, of we do a lot of management buyouts, which are debt. So the management team raised debt and there's vendor loan notes left in. And clearly on that side, we, you know, the leverage is definitely lower. So even on smaller deals, uh, we were, you know, last year we were looking at deals where we were uh, able to kind of, raised you know three times EBITDA reasonably comfortably with a bit of a bullet now that's come down a bit so we're not you know we're not able to raise quite so much and again that's two impacts on the deal it can either reduce the value or just puts more on the on the vendor loan note um, so that that just gets paid out over time um, but that said there are there are still you know there, there are lenders still lending so there's a lot alongside private equity there's an awful lot of, of private debt or alternative debt available over here so although you know a couple of years ago, it would have been in total, you know, six, seven percent. We're now up at 11, 12 percent, which feels horrifying um, to some clients that we talk to. But if the alternative for your capital raise in whatever form is equity, then it's actually extremely cheap. Because if you're able to raise the money you need at 11, 12 percent and you can service it, you're still keeping 100 percent of the business. You know, move move, move up, up, the, um, up the curve to private equity and... Yeah, you might be able to raise slightly more, but you're giving away, you know, a chunk of your business to the private equity firm. So there's kind of a continuum of, you know, the old, you know, sort of low risk, low and, and, and going up. And debt still has an important part to play, albeit it's shifted up a bit. It's a little bit more expensive than it was, but it's still it's still got an important part to play. And there are still, you know, banks or funds lending. So which is positive. Yeah, that sounds sound too uh too dire at this point still no there. yeah there are there are there's um as we were at um uh, a lunch the other day and they were talking about the economic climate and they were talking about interest rates and whether they'd peaked or not um and i think a lot of people felt that yeah we're sort of teetering at the top probably like you are i think in the u.s we're teetering at the top of the of the rate rise and actually if you look back it's not that high you know we're at five five and a quarter percent you know most of us can remember that 
So it's just that, you know, those in the, you know, 20s and 30s can't. So for them, it's shocking. But um, yeah, I think it's it's definitely had an impact, but it's not, the friction hasn't been too great. There are still deals being done with debt, which is which is good. Right, right, right. Absolutely. That's some good news. Yeah, so I think uh, that can uh, play a role, but doesn't sound like uh, too bad. So appreciate the time today, Sarah. Um, you know, it was a great conversation to have. And Really appreciate you being part of Cornerstone International Alliance. And I guess, you know, one thing that I'd like to end with and and wonder if you could just talk about, you know, being a part of of, of Cornerstone and uh, being our first international member. It's uh, it's always great to be able to uh, think back to that time and, you know, like, okay, now we can we can say we're international now because it's in our name, right? We got to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was about three, three and a half years ago, I think. And so, yep. um, you know, I guess fast forward three years, like what has been a part of this group done for you as far as, you know, connections and uh, helping your, your you and your company and serve best serve your clients? And how's that? How's that been? Yeah, I mean, I think I think for us, it was a it, it was a it was an important decision because we we were we'd been going for what, four or five years. We're doing well in our local market. You know, we're picking up nice deals. But it was sort of what? How do we grow? How, what do we do next? How do we? What, what's our path look like? Um, and I think I, I can't remember. I think the the, the introduction came via Rob and and, and Bob. Um, but but for us, I think there's there's a number of things it gives us. One, it, just just talking to other firms doing similar things. And although you're in a different country, actually, it's even more valuable to us because the number of times we have conversations where you're, you know other cornerstone members are facing exactly the same issues of us and we're on opposite sides of the atlantic you know it's quite comforting um but also interesting to see you know how things are different because that that helps us to say ah, oh, well actually just because that's always how we've done it doesn't necessarily mean that's how we always have to do it in the future so having a, a you know a group of people that we can talk to and 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 share ideas with uh, on a fairly regular basis um has, has been really valuable to us because we do it here but actually we we do, being able to reach out to people in other countries is, is helpful. So I suppose that that bigger network and the talking is helpful to us. Um, and then probably the second thing that I, as I alluded to earlier, is just that ability to, to, to show clients that we can reach beyond the boundaries of the UK, that we are not just because we're small, um, you know, we're not KPMG. Obviously, we haven't got offices all over the world, but being part of an, of an, of an alliance means that, you know, we can reach beyond the UK we can look at uh, abroad for buyers we can look abroad for investors um so it and that's you know I, I think that's as much part of the pitch process um in in being able to present ourselves uh, certainly to some of the larger deals that we do so that that's really important and I you know I, I think over time you know we probably haven't leveraged that um hugely over the, over the last while but I think these things build and I think over time that's something that we would certainly like to to make make more use of Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, you know, it, it, to find UK buyers for US companies, although I appreciate that's pr- probably less likely, but but not uh, impossible. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember one of our other members, Bob uh, McCormick, and I think he had worked with you guys on a deal. And I remember him because, saying, yes. you have to talk to Sarah and Rob. They're amazing. They do things the right way. You know, I, I, I can honestly say he was absolutely right. And uh you guys have been amazing to work with. No, it's great to be part of the group. And I think everybody that we've met, you know, we all do seem to have a similar, uh, you know, 
work ethic or ethos or, or whatever it is that you know we, we're here to look after our clients and do the best for our clients and um just because we are in the you know in, in the kind of lower mid market doesn't mean that we do things cheaply or quickly or you know in expert you know we are, we're good at what we do we look after our clients appropriately so yeah it's good to see across the whole cornerstone alliance yep yep absolutely and and firms like you and all of our members just you know the the, the value the, the power of abundance and you bring great people to the other great things happen. so thank you for being such yeah. an integral part of that for us um so appreciate the time today sarah um if someone wants to talk to you guys um how do they get a hold of you website any you know anywhere that they can find you like, yeah so web website is is forwardcf.co.uk and we're on linkedin forward corporate finance so either of those you'll find rob or me or one of the team and you're welcome to reach out to, to any of us or any of them awesome well again so thank you so much for the time today that is all we have for this latest episode of the m a mastermind podcast one thing that'll help sarah myself out is to um, share this this episode, like it, comment, and give it to anybody you think could be valuable, other MA professionals, other friends out there that do what we do, help, you know, help share this episode and hopefully they can find value in listening to uh, Sarah and my conversation today. You can find all of our episodes at cornerstoneio.com slash podcast and looking forward to uh, continuing this podcast and bringing out more great guests like Sarah.